Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. As always, thank you so very much for tuning in. Today's episode is about train wrecks. Now, these days, that can mean any number of things. Hi, I'm Ben. Hi, I'm Noel. Uh, so basically par for the course then for us, huh? Train wrecks? Get it? No, mm. never mind. I was being mm. self-deprecating. I think we do a fine job, Ben. I don't know why I said that. Strike from the record. Well, <laughs> <laughs> let's let's carry the motion. Uh, you know, the one person who has made a uh, dare I say a career saving us from train wrecks is, of course, our super producer Casey Pegram. I'll open uh, open today's episode with a question for you, Casey. Will you ever forgive us? I wonder about that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen uh, Have you seen First Reform, Ben? Um, wh- what's it about? Uh, it's it, the joke's not going to work. There's it's Ethan Hawke. He becomes like convinced that you know the world's going to end, and he's like this preacher who's like isolated and alienated, and he uh, he changes the uh, the sign out in front of the church to "Will God forgive us?" So uh, that came to mind. I, I have seen that actually. I remember it's it's a little bit of a bummer, and there's a really cool psychedelic part where he's like floating through the clouds inexplicably, uh, which I quite enjoyed. Spoiler alert, Noel. Is that a spoiler? It is kind of because the, the movie is so anchored in realism that when that sequence comes up, it's kind of like, whoa, okay, we're shifting modes here. That's oh, fair. great. <sighs> I'm just going to read the wiki. That's fine. <laughs> is it is it possible to spoil an art film, though? That, that's the question that I put to the group. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Only if it's like a poorly made art film, I think, because an art film should be appreciable, you know, even if you know everything that's going to happen. Yeah, that's a good point. It's, it's sort of like saying you spoiled a portrait, you know? That, 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 actually... 
oh man, I wish we were, I wish we were hanging out at a bar or something so we could talk over this with some cocktails. Uh, those, those days will come one day sooner or later. Uh, we'll be, we'll be back at our favorite spots or maybe we'll have a pizza party. Uh, but today we thought it would be interesting to talk about train wrecks in I don't and I don't know, man. An unusual light because nowadays, usually when we hear the term train wreck, we think of it as its current meaning, which is always going to be something that has gone catastrophically wrong, right? Like, oh, I went on a blind date. How was it? It was a train wreck. It doesn't mean that you were on an Amtrak that went off the rails. It meant that you guys didn't connect, right? Like, we don't really yeah. talk about physical ones. Well, I mean, the Amtrak off the rails situation is terrifying and uh, would leave you with some pretty serious PTSD if you uh, walked away from it alive. Uh, a bad date is really just kind of mildly inconvenient and and maybe a bit embarrassing. Probably for more for one side than the other, I would argue. Mm -hmm. The one who is uh, completely falling flat uh, and not connecting or being connected with, but uh, definitely not cause for too much alarm. I think we've all been there. Uh, yep. Well said. Today, we are talking about literal train wrecks, actual locomotives uh, in wrecks, but we cannot call these accidents. They're not train accidents. And you'll see what we mean in, in a moment. Uh, it, it, it's weird to say this, but we'll, we'll just give you this first sentence to open this up. From 1896 until about the 1930s, train wrecks were wildly popular. Isn't that weird? They were popular. Yeah, I mean, you could almost call it a spectator sport in line with something like demolition derbies or monster truck rallies or something like that. It really capitalizes on people's kind of animalistic uh, need to see things go horribly, horribly wrong. Uh, maybe there's a little schadenfreude involved. Um, I, I don't imagine that these uh, that these involved anybody being hurt because, you know, there had to be some kind of uh, uh, checks and balances to keep that from happening, but this is the idea of uh, train wrecks as a pastime. Not the same as train spotting, mind you. That's a much more banal and uh, innocuous pastime. This is very active and required a lot of pre-planning, um, and it, I can't believe how uh, long it, it went on. It just seems like such a recipe for disaster. Yes. Literally. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point. We have to keep in mind that this occurs in a time when other public spectator sports included things like bear and dog fights and bare knuckle boxing, even public executions. We're talking about a specific train wreck that set the stage for this. One of the first purposeful train wrecks staged for <laughs> staged for the public uh, happened in 1895. It was the brainchild of a railroad equipment salesman named A.L. Streeter over in Ohio. And this really set the precedent for all of the other stage train wrecks that would come after in the following decades. There's a book that examines this, which I have in full disclosure, I, ha I haven't read in totality, uh, by James J. Reisdorf called The Man Who Wrecked 146 Locomotives. And according to this historian, Streeter's initial wreck in 1895 was so successful that the very next year, there were at least six other staged train wrecks. 
weird. It's super weird. Um, and the uh, kind of mother of all stage train wrecks, uh, or at least, you know, the one that kind of lives on in infamy, um, you may have even heard the name, is known as the Crash at Crush. Uh, and this was a big deal. Um, as you can imagine, a lot of moving pieces, literally uh, and figuratively, involved in doing something like this. So why don't we take a step back? and uh, talk about kind of what led to this monumental public train wreck. Yes, let's. So as we were saying earlier, entertainment was kind of hard to come by in the 1890s, especially out in Texas. There were about 2 million uh, European-American settlers there. And if you wanted to do something other than eat, sleep, and work – you would be hard-pressed to find some good diversions. If you were a dude, you could join some sort of farmer's organization. That would give you business support and networking opportunities, but often people would join just so they could socialize. On the other side of the gender divide at the time, women had the Christian Temperance Union, and this would be like uh, the same thing, right? You network, you socialize. You, you could also... After the first uh, college football game was played in 1894, you could pick a side and you could root for that. That that explains one of the reasons why sports have been so historically popular. But other than that, you're kind of SOL. Since we're a family show, that stands for straight out of luck. It does indeed. Um, So as we said before, um, the kind of precedent for this bizarre spectator sport was established by A.L. Streeter, who had staged the first crash back in Ohio a year before. Um, And William Crush, who was a uh, railway agent, was inspired by that and also really thought that this was something that could kind of create that college football rivalry um, type scenario that maybe was sort of lacking at the time. Um, And he decided to go all out and create a a, a hugely um, marketed uh, spectacle um, using the concept of a staged train wreck. And you ask yourself, you know, surely there must have been some injuries. This doesn't seem like something that would go over without uh, some kind of carnage bleeding out into the uh, the spectators. And that's true. There's a paper that talks, uh, really the only thing we, we could find about a flying bolt that caused um, an injury, but that's about it. Um, so the idea of uh, kind of recreating that and maybe making it a little more safe sort of in, was Crush's kind of... Uh, modus operandi here. And it's funny too, because Crush was actually a pal of P.T. Barnum. So he came honestly by his fascination with the spectacle and the idea of, you know, sort of a larger than life um, event that would bring people from far and wide. Uh, It just so happened that instead of, you know, uh, animals in the circus and acrobats, he wanted to do it with two colliding trains. Yep. You see, Crush worked specifically for the Missouri-Kansas-Texas Railroad Company. The street name for the Missouri-Kansas-Texas Railroad Company is the Katy. And he said, we're going to portray this as a gladiatorial battle. We're going to have two 35-ton locomotives that ram into each other. And for public safety, we're not going to hold this you know, in, a, in your normal um, 
on your normal train tracks near town, right? We're going to hold this in a special pop-up town that we're building just for the occasion. And in what I can only describe as a burst of humility, Crush decided to name the town Crush. It, it came at a good point. It wasn't like... um a dollop of swag on top of a successful financial Sunday because the Katie was doing okay at this time. It had 1.2 million in passenger sales and 3 million in revenue for freight earnings as of 1895, but it was still kind of worried about its future. Uh, the country was recovering from a depression uh, in 1893 and a quarter of the country's railroad companies during that depression and right after it, had to file for bankruptcy. So, so Crush wanted to promote the Katie. Yeah, he was really looking at this. It's 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 it's, it's the strangest uh, logic, but he was looking at this as a way to promote the the railway and uh, the railway line and kind of get people uh, excited about train travel and freight by staging a uh, an epic catastrophe um, right. where he could kind of control the variables, I guess. Um, but yeah, I don't quite understand the logic there, but you know, it it did seem to get people's attention. Um, so you know. His motivations are a little sketchy, in my opinion, um, but he was able to sell the managers of uh, the uh, the Katie um, on his scheme. So all of this preparation went into creating this pop-up town at Crush and assembling um, all of the infrastructure that was needed to do that. Uh, he found two 35-ton steam engines that were being decommissioned, uh, being replaced by two new new, more uh, modern 60-ton engines and was able to, uh, you know, commandeer them to use for this uh, for this event. He did have some consultants from the company and engineers that uh, he was able to kind of talk through the logistics of making this as safe as possible. There was the mild suggestion that this collision could cause an explosion um, that, you know, would would not go over particularly well with people watching. Uh, but that that was sort of tamped down and they were able to, you know, kind of move on from that absurd scenario. Literally one guy brought that up and everyone else was like, Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. 
$45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I want to step back here uh, and note uh, the thing about the motivation that I find interesting is that even today, historians are not sure <laughs> what actually motivated Crush to take this line of marketing and spectacle. Because if you think about it, it's a lot like Delta saying, hey, we want to get Delta in the forefront of people's minds. So let's like wreck some planes. You know, it, it's counterintuitive. Uh, this This is weird because... Eventually, when they when they do decide, when the one engineer is like, hey, explosions are bad, gets shut down, what the next steps are, are, are you know, they're, they're pretty interesting. And there's a lot of work that goes into it. I have to respect the hustle. They paint one engine red with green trim, and they paint the other one green with red trim. So you got a nice oppositional vibe. And then they lay a line of track 15 miles north of Waco, Texas which now is you know, best known for uh, the David Koresh massacre. And they, they place it on purpose beyond this kind of natural amphitheater of these three tall hills. Crush drills wells. He runs pipes for spigots so they can have water, and then they can build a lemonade stand. He's got like a lemonade specialist guy who comes in from Dallas to do this. They make a restaurant. They build a wooden jail. And the main attraction uh, is the trains, of course, but they also want people to stay and get the build up and, and really feel the vibe and the energy. So they they build 
a midway, basically. They build a carnival row. And you know what that is. That's like the games, right? It's throw the darts at the thing, guess somebody's weight. Are you strong enough to hit the bell when you, you know, bring down the hammer? I don't know whether they had a dunking tank, but those things, I don't know. They always stole the show for me. They're so intense. Do you think they had ski ball, Ben? Because that's that's a really important midway feature for me. But that might be more modern. I want we should do an episode on the history of uh, carnival games and uh, all of that stuff because a lot of them, you know, are notoriously rigged and it's uh, you know suckers born every minute and all that. But again, a lot of this had to do with his friendship with P.T. Barnum and the massive popularity of uh, the Midway Plaisance. I think is how it's pronounced. Uh, that took place in the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago, and he. He actually borrowed a tent um, that he used to house a restaurant, and he borrowed that tent from his pal P.T. Barnum. And they had cigar stands and, you know, like a medicine show situation, which I guess, what is that like? Is that kind of a music thing or does that have to do with selling fake uh, snake oil kind of stuff? I'm not quite sure what a medicine show is. Yeah, actually, I did a a satirical medicine show a few years back. Yeah, it'll be, think of it kind of like a variety show. So they're selling, you know, the Reverend Honorable Dr. Pegram's uh, snake lubricant, uh, you know, that's based on the secrets of the Far East or uh, ancient Native American communities. It's it's pretty tinged with racism. Uh, and, and the medicine, the one rule of medicine shows is the medicine never works. But people are mainly there to see the, you know, the pomp and circumstance. Yeah, it, re- it reminds me of the uh, the character in The Wizard of Oz that, that ultimately, is this a spoiler? Can you spoil a movie that old? Uh, that ultimately ends up being the great and powerful Oz in, in the Oz universe part, but he's got a traveling medicine show. Uh, and it sort of, you know, ends up portending the fact that uh, uh, the great and powerful Oz is in fact a fraud. Um, so yeah, the idea of, of special tonics and the like, uh, that could cure what ails you. So this was a real happening scene, um, for the time. There was a lot of excitement around it. Um, and you know, when I initially was reading into this, I pictured that this would be something that would use actual railroad lines and that just seemed absurd to me. So it's good to know that they at least had a, a method to this madness. So on September 15th, what was dubbed the duel of the iron monsters, um, kicked into full gear. It drew uh, spectators from uh, all over uh, nearby Texas and, and, of course, in Texas. And by 10 in the morning, there were 10,000 people that had already shown up. And, and new spectators kept showing up every uh, few minutes in um, in train cars. And it was a real mix of social uh, strata. You know, you had men, women, children, lawyers, doctors, merchants, farmers, artisans, clerks, representing every class and every grade of society. Um, and this is a quote from the Galveston Daily News of the time. Uh, and they were, quote, clustered around the lunch stands, discussing with eager anticipation the exciting events that they had come so far to see. Yeah, this this is amazing. So I, I think you said by 10 a.m. there was a crowd of 10,000 people, right? And everybody who went to see this, they paid the Katy $2 to travel there by train from anywhere in Texas. So this could be a really good deal uh, because, you know, Texas is huge. So if we if we do the math real quick, then we say we have forty thousand people. They're paying two bucks a piece, so that's eighty thousand dollars. And then we adjust it for twenty twenty dollars. Inflation calculation gives us Casey a drum roll, please. 
$12,458,238.10. So they're they're making bank. You know what I mean? Like this is not entirely just for the the love of the art of train wrecks. There's no nobody like uh those characters from that what what was that old film Crash? The people who like have a predilection a bit of a, a bit of a kink, yeah. yeah. Based on the uh, the J.G. Ballard novel and yes. directed by David Cronenberg, yeah. I, I, that that one always gave me the creeps. <laughs> Casey on the case, creep me out too. The JFK vibe uh, was that the one they were like recreating famous accidents or something? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Uh, James Dean certainly is one of them. That's it. Um, yeah. What was it? There was an actress that was beheaded in a car accident. I'm trying to remember who that was. That's in there as well. Boy, yeah, Casey on the case. That's a that's a wild one. So, yeah, as you said, Noel, they made this an event. Uh, by t- there were ten thousand people there at ten by four p.m., which was showtime. Forty thousand people came, and the weird thing about this is that population of forty thousand in 1896 means that for one afternoon. This entirely made-up town of Crush was the second largest city in all of Texas. That's that's probably my favorite fact from the Smithsonian article about this. I think that's that's definitely up there for me. My uh, my one of my favorite facts from the Smithsonian article uh, and just from this the days uh, goings on was um, when it was time uh, for the actual main event to take place around four o'clock. The two trains uh, at- approached each other slowly. And touched cow catchers, mm-hmm. the little thing on the front of the trains. Uh, you also see on the front of police cars um, in some sort of weird anthropomorphized like handshake, you know, uh, that they were about to do battle. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so cool. And then they and then they began to back up uh, for the distance of one mile each just after 5 p.m. Uh, William Crush himself comes out. He comes He comes in riding on a horse, you know, and he's waving his hat. And that's the signal for the trains to start. So the engineers, the conductors, they get the trains moving and then they do their best to put all the gas on, right? They, they tie down the whistle cords so these trains are screaming along. They like open up the throttle all the way, the equivalent of redlining an engine, right? And then after they do this, these guys literally jump out of the vehicle because, of course, they don't want to be in it. No, um, and oh gosh, this is this the story is about to take a bit of a dark turn. They the trains got up to about fifty miles per hour in speed. Uh, they were uh, rigged up with box cars as they would be, but they were empty uh, and and made of wood. Um, and the collision was really one for the books. But it turns out that even the 200 yards uh, that separated the crowd observing from this uh, hillside natural amphitheater uh, was not nearly enough um, to separate them from the uh, chaos that was about to ensue. Um, As that one gentleman predicted, he probably was doing a bit of an I told you so at this point, both of the train's boilers immediately exploded um, and flung uh, the debris and shrapnel uh, from these explosions through the air like rockets, Uh, not to mention all of the splinters from the exploding boxcars. And it 
came down like a, a, a hammer onto the assembled crowd. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. There were injuries and fatalities, as reported by someone who observed the event. A 10-pound section of brake chain 
hit a teenager in the skull. Uh, a young girl was struck by a chunk of iron. It fractured her skull and she died on the way home in an attempt for medical care. The official event photographer took a bolt, an iron bolt to the eye. However, he did not die. Oddly enough, the reports tell us that he stood up and uh, this guy's name is Jarvis Dean. He instructed his photography team to take photos uh, while he was, you know, while he's digging this bolt out of his eye. And there was a veteran there from the Confederate War. Remember, that's pretty recent at this time in history. And this guy, you know, you imagine that he maybe experienced something like PTSD. He said this was more frightening to him. All the, the chaos and the smoke and explosions uh, terrified him more than Pickett's last charge at Gettysburg. All to say, as you can imagine, William Crush is fired. He is beyond fired. He is like out the door. You're lucky that we're just firing you and not sending you to prison. But then something strange happens because the managers at the Katy start to realize this is getting them a lot of publicity. Yeah, I guess there's no such thing as bad press. I don't know. This seems like the kind of bad press that's just bad. But for some reason, it it caught on and it it, it upped the profile of this railway line in a way that uh, that led to some some positive uh, financials, you know, for the company. And uh, Crush was promptly rehired uh, when they realized that this thing was you know, uh, actually a weird kind of success. Uh, they dealt with the claims made by people who were injured. Uh, they even paid that photographer you mentioned, Ben, who got a bolt through the eye, $10,000. That's the equivalent of 300000 today. Yeah, and also um, gave him a lifetime railroad pass, which I don't know if that was me, I, I would be uh, hesitant to to ever go <laughs> near a train ever again. But we have to remember this was, you know, a, a, the primary mode of transportation in those days. So that's pretty pretty solid um, to be able to you know ride the trains for free for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. He also put a uh, hilarious notice in the paper. He said, "Quote." Having gotten all the loose screws and other hardware out of my head, I'm now ready for all photographic business, which uh, <laughs> which I think is uh, he's handling it with aplomb. You know, the, the way that they handle this, it's callous, right? People died. Uh, but, but the way that they handle this is so strange to me. I kept thinking uh, over this week as we were getting ready for this episode, I kept thinking, like, what kind of motto would you make for that? Would you be like, the Katie? We only crash on purpose. Or would you be like, the Katie, train wrecks for train wrecks. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I'm not sure how they pulled this off because if this happened, you know, in the modern day or if this happened with some other kind of transit company, if FedEx was like, watch us wreck these trucks and people were injured, then it would spell the end of the company. You know what I mean? That's like bankruptcy uh, lawsuit territory. But for some reason... This accident, like you said, Noel, made the Katy an overnight sensation. Uh, the, the historians that we mentioned earlier said it's just incredible. You could still stage this in the modern day. You probably just wouldn't want it to be sponsored by a company. You could get two light rail trains going 100 miles an hour and get them to smash into each other. And would people still attend? 
The answer is probably yes. Well, let's not forget, Ben, too, that like uh, automobile races like uh, the Le Mans, um, there were constantly uh, spectator injuries and not to mention driver injuries because those cars were prone to explode um, because of the way they were built. Uh, And, you know, those races persisted uh, because I think there's something about the danger and the risk I think is what captures people's imaginations that you know maybe it's a little bit um, you know of kind of like a thrill seeking situation like yeah you know you can jump out of an airplane and you might die you probably won't but that little bit of risk makes it all the more enticing to people especially you know the bloodlust of kind of things like gladiator battles and uh, even today like monster truck rallies or like we said demolition derbies where people want to see things explode and uh, they want to witness mass destruction it's something ingrained in us as people that's a little unusual but uh, there it is i think about that too with rubberneckers you know for quick morbidity we all slow down at accidents i you know it's it's so it's so strange that fascination that is common and i would dare i say universal in our species what happened to the katie you might be wondering. Well, they earned more than ten million dollars by 1931. They also uh, they they also became an economic force in their territory. Uh, you know, a lot of success uh, of smaller towns in Texas can be traced to the Katy, and they sort of there's no other way to say it. They commemorated the crash at Crush. There's an historical plaque in West Texas, which is uh, just a few miles from the actual site. And overall, the company considered this a success. Train collisions became like the big ticket show for state fairs across the country. People were writing songs about these staged crashes. I know what you're thinking, folks. How can I visit Crush Texas today? Well, you can't. It really was a pop-up town. You can visit, wait, I think you can visit where it used to be, right? Yeah, I think there's a marker that memorializes, you know, where the actual event took place. So you could consider that as visiting Crush, but, it, uh, you know, in terms of it being like a an incorporated town, it does not exist anymore. But, but that area is still uh, available um, to check out in West Texas where you can take a look at that marker. But, you know, like like most things that seem sort of absurd, like uh, we've talked about the um, pastime of competitive walking, uh, you know, this this one waned as well. Um, and, you know, by the early 30s, uh, when trains had become a little more old hat, I think there was also like a fascination with them as technology uh, and just the, you know, the um, the power and majesty of these iron giants. You know, it became a little bit less remarkable. And I think people moved on to other forms of destructive entertainment like boxing. Sure. Yeah. Boxing, uh, competitive eating contest, uh, you know, and demolition derbies, of course. Uh, just a few years ago, I traveled to our uh, to our Atlanta Motor Speedway to watch someone redo all the stunts of Cannonball Run. And they actually did it. You know, they threw the cars in the air, they did car chases, uh, and they had a big crowd because this sort of stuff fascinates us. Wait, wasn't Burt Reynolds actually in attendance at that event, Ben? Yeah, yeah. Saw Burt Reynolds there. Um, this was toward the end of his of his uh, days, uh, but he was a really he was actually a really humble, nice guy. Like uh, he stayed and insisted on signing autographs for everyone. And I gotta admit, 
you know, uh, he looks great. He looks great for his age. His eyebrows are on, on point. Uh, so hats off to you, Bert. Uh, this is where we draw the uh, wild train of ridiculous history to a stop for today. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed this episode. We hope that you, if you are in marketing or PR, uh, don't decide to recreationally wreck trains for the benefit of the public or the entertainment thereof. Uh, but we would also love to hear your stories of some of the weirdest publicity stunts of all time. It can be small stuff like how Salvador Dali uh, gained some local notoriety by routinely jumping out of his window and falling into bushes. That's how he, that's part of how he became known, by the way. Isn't that weird? <laughs> that is super weird. It could, it could also be a big thing like this uh, recreational train wreck or just any old thing that catches your eye. We'd love to hear about it. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. Yeah, and you can also find us as individuals. I am at HowNowNoelBrown on Instagram exclusively. And I am at Ben Bolin on Instagram. You can see my adventures as I struggle with the decision whether or not to keep this quarantine beard and go full Old Testament. You can also find me on uh, Twitter at Ben Bolin HSW. Thanks as always to our super producer, Casey Pegram, who uh, I, I don't know if we mentioned this on air, but you've got some great lighting going on today, Casey. Oh, thank you, Ben. It's the uh, the natural light coming in through the window. Can't go wrong. Well, I'll tell you, it's framing your uh, background. What is that? Uh, what's what's that French uh, locale right there that I'm seeing? <laughs> yeah, that is the uh, the Palais de Justice in uh, Paris in the, the Seine. Well, the way you're lit, it almost looks like you're really there, Casey. And thanks, as always, of course, to uh, the Quister, who is overdue for a return appearance. As is our research associate extraordinaire, Gabe Luzier, uh, uh, who we would love to have on very soon. we got to make that happen. Um, and I do believe we will. Thanks to Christopher Asiotis here in spirit. Eve's Jeff Coates. Uh, who else? You, Ben. Thanks to you, as always, for being my train buddy on, on this here episode. All right. And uh, thanks to you as well, Noel. Um, I, I don't know what the caboose for the show is. I guess it's our outro music. See you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, Smaller Ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. 
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.